Good morning. So today we are starting into a new teaching series entitled Thy Kingdom Come. And this is a series that, of course, the, the words come from a prayer we're going to pray today at the end of this service, comes from the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, and the way Jesus teaches you and I how to pray when asked, He says that we are to pray, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And friends, these are powerful words that we have been taught to pray, and if we're called to pray for them, we're called to work for them. And among the things that it really says when we say that thy kingdom come is it means that God cares passionately about this world. That God cares passionately about this world. And at times, the church has reduced the teachings of Jesus to me punching my ticket to go to heaven after I die. That that's what it's about, right? And that's often led to the church doing some of the most destructive things the church has done in history when we've reduced Christianity to what happens when you die. Now, I want to be clear that when we talk about this, that's not saying that there's nothing to do with what happens after we die. We have confidence as followers of Jesus only in the grace of God. And when we die, which all of us will, we are, as Paul writes, saved by grace through faith. And that is not something you and I earn, but it is a free gift given to us from God. So I'm not taking away the whole aspect of what happens when we die, but I want us to not reduce Christianity to that message. Because when Jesus tells us to pray and work for the kingdom to come here, what he's really saying is, it's not just about you and I finding out how to get up there. It's not that God's up in heaven going, guys, I'm telling you, it's really great here. I hope someday you can join me. But that God has called you and I to bring up there down here. That God has called us to work in our lives for the building of heaven on earth. That's this, this word, God cares about this world and every person, every culture, every continent, every country on this globe. God cares about it all. And we are called to as well. And that means everything for how we live. It means everything for how we live in our personal lives. It means everything for how we're to engage this world. It means everything, for example, personally around the idea of something like marriage. That we're not just like two people trying to be really, 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 really in love for like the next 55 years and just being great. But that actually God has a kingdom calling on what it means to be a husband or what it means to be a wife and how it is that we and our families and our marriages come most alive when we live as followers of Jesus in those places and in those, in those spaces. Our marriages, our families come most alive. God has a vision of parenting. God has a vision of what it means to be a son or a daughter. God cares about that. God cares about personal stuff in your life like money. And you're sitting there going, I don't like talking about this. That's kind of my own business. No, it's not. No, it's not. It is taken off the table as your personal business when you're following Jesus. Because it's not our stuff to just get what we want and give what we think other people deserve that we are called to realize that God has given us the opportunities that have led us to have everything we have in this world. And therefore, we are called to be extravagantly generous with everything we have that is God's rather than us feeling like, well, I'm just going to spend things on the things that make me happy and on my own consumer habits. God has something to say. God's kingdom has something to say about the most personal things like that. And God's kingdom also has something to do with how we stand in the public square, how we stand in the things that are taking place in this world. 
What does it mean to pray and to work for thy kingdom come, thy will to be done, when we live in a world where we are seeing a refugee crisis the likes of which the globe has not seen before? What does it mean to respond not as people who are going, well, how do I protect myself or my investments or my property or my safety above and beyond anything else because that's what I do, but to ask the question when we see this happening in the world and the violence that is creating it, what does it mean to respond as followers of Jesus? What does it mean to work for and to seek for the kingdom of God to come in the lives of people whose, whose entire existence has been destroyed? What does it mean in a world today where we hear that there are as many as 45 million people still living in slavery in this world, in bonded labor, some of them right here in Austin, Texas, this morning, that God cares about that, and that you and I are called to care about it as well, and to ask the question, what does it mean to work for the kingdom to come here on earth when every individual is recognized as having worth because they are created in the image of God. And therefore, we stand not as a political idea against slavery, we stand as people of faith, as kingdom people, for the lives of those whose voice has been drowned out. What does it mean as our world continues to heat up, where every month we are setting records for normal, global, average temperatures, and our oceans and seas are becoming more acidic? What does that mean as followers of Jesus? What does that mean in an election that's coming up? I don't know if you've heard. There's an election in a few weeks taking place here in this country. And let me just go ahead and say that as citizens of the kingdom, one option is not to avoid it. One option is not to go, well, I don't really like anyone running, so I'm just not going to do it. It's not an option. God cares about this. And so even if it's imperfect, you and I are called to go into the voting booth in a few weeks and to ask a question, what does it mean that God cares about the policies and the people that are coming in to power? And how do we make decisions about that? What does that mean? That you and I are not called to enter the voting booths as Democrats. We are not called to enter the voting booth as Republicans. We are called to enter it as followers of Jesus. So what are the values that we are supposed to think about and to work for and to believe in as we cast our ballots? These are the things God cares about this world, about the things you do in your life, in your family, and God cares about what happens in this world for us corporately. And we're called to as well. Jesus says, pray for that. And then work for the kingdom of God to come down here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm excited to explore some of what this means with you in the weeks to come. Because it's an important time in our world's history. It's an important time in our country's history. It's an important time in Austin, Texas. And it's an important time in your life and the decisions that are facing you. What does it mean to live with the words and values and prayer on our lips? Lord, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here's how we're going to do this series. We're going to spend every week in one of the four gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Because Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. And so we're going to look at what he says the kingdom's about and how we're to live in it, how we're to build it. So we're going to talk one week, for example, about when he says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. See, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he doesn't just give like a scientific definition that you'd highlight and go, well, that's the answer. That's the kingdom of God. He tells stories about it. These stories have layers to them. 
So he's going to say the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Well, what does that mean? How do we get into that? What does that mean for how you and I are called to live as kingdom people? It has a lot to say to us. What does it mean when he says that the kingdom of God is like a place where someone's throwing seed out on the ground, and some of that's going to spring up into a plant, and some of it's going to spring up really quickly but then die away really quickly, and some of it's just not going to spring up at all? What does that mean to teach us about the kingdom of God and how you and I are called to live, working for thy kingdom to come? And what does it mean as we're going to look at now in Luke chapter 14 when he says that the kingdom of God is like a great banquet. It is a feast that you are invited to, to come and attend. What does that say to us about God and his kingdom and how we're to live? Let's look at that passage now. It's from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. I invite you to listen now to God's word today. Read along. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to Jesus, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I've just been married and therefore I can't come. (laughs) Did you just snort? That's awesome. (laughs) So the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that no matter who we are, you would speak to us today. Shape us and mold us as people who live for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the reason I wanted to start with this particular passage of Scripture, with this parable, is I think that it gets at the heart of why you and I should be so excited about the kingdom of God. Because I don't want any of us to make the mistake of going, you have to work for the kingdom of God, you've got to pray for this because that's what Jesus told us to do, and that's what he told us to pray for, so you better spend your time doing it because that's what people of faith do. Those are the rules. Rather, I think this parable gets to the heart of why should you and I be so passionate about it? Why should we be so excited about it? This parable gets at the very heart of what is so great about the kingdom of God. So let's get into it. So here's what happens. There's this rich person that hosts a a, a feast, a dinner, a banquet. He prepares for it, and then he invites people to come in. And these three examples are given of people who make excuses. Why I can't come right? And then finally, the person sends his servant out into the town and says, well, invite in the poor and the lame and the homeless and the crippled and the forgotten and the ones that society doesn't look to. Invite all of them to come in. And there's a danger with a passage of scripture like this if you go to church or if you've been to church a lot. And the danger is, is that we can kind of hear this and without getting into the details, we're like, I kind of know what this is about, right? It's like, The host invites people to a feast, and as soon as we hear people making excuses, we're like, oh, you're the bad guys, you're the ones that are doing the bad thing, and I know I don't want to be like you, and I want to be like the guy that then goes and invites in the lame and the homeless and the crippled and the forgotten and then everything else, and that's what we're supposed to do, and that's a part of it, 
But I want us to see for a second where we truly are in this passage. Because if we don't gloss over these three people that make an excuse, it might make us a little uncomfortable this morning of how familiar their excuses might sound. Because one of the things you're going to see is, is that in the excuses they make, they're not saying that they're not going to go to the party because they've got really bad things they want to do, right? They're not like, I'm going to go like rob convenience stores, and so I don't have time to come and do this, right? It's not like going, oh, that's bad. You shouldn't do that. Their excuses are actually good excuses, right? And they might sound familiar. Number one, first person. He says, oh, or, or she says, I can't come because I've just made this investment in this new piece of property right? Well, if you've just made an investment, you just bought a lake house, or you've just got a vacation home, or you just bought a piece of property to invest in for your grandchildren's inheritance or something like that, you want to be a responsible steward of what God has given you, right? God doesn't want us just throwing our money around and not being responsible with it. So if I'm going to make an investment in a new piece of property, I need to go take care of that investment. I need to go see how that investment works and how to care for it. It would be irresponsible of me to go to a party rather than going and taking care of this investment and being a good steward of what God wants me to do, right? The responsible person doesn't go to a party. The responsible person goes and looks after their investment so that it's safe and protected. Or what about the second person who says, I can't go because I've just got five yoke of oxen. Well, this person is probably a farmer. And the ox are animals that are used to help till the ground. So this person can do their job better. They can provide for their family. They can have resources. They can have money. College isn't free, you know. Got to make money if I'm going to be a good parent, if I'm going to be responsible for doing these things. I've got to provide. I've got to have a career. I've got to have resources to provide. I need to save for my retirement so I'm not a burden on anybody else. It would be irresponsible of me to not take care of these oxen and to see how they work and to See if I can rent them out maybe to my neighbor down the road and earn a little extra money there. God wants me to provide for my family. God wants me to be responsible in the things I've got to do. I can't go to a party. I've got to be a good provider, a responsible provider. And then, of course, there's the last person who's married, newlywed, right? And they seem in some level to have the best excuse not to go. Because you, some of you have been married, some of you have seen people who are married, they don't need a party because they're in love. <laughs> right? I just need to just sit here and stare into your eyes. The world now makes sense exactly when I'm with you. Anyone else will just confuse this moment in time. And we're going to feel this way forever. <laughs> He's paying attention. She's paying attention to her spouse. It's family values. That's what we're about, right? That's the stuff we're supposed to be about. It's doing the right thing. You see, these aren't people who are making bad decisions about what to do. They're actually people who are paying attention to good things in their life. But they've become so obsessed with paying attention and being responsible for the good things in their life that they're actually ignoring the great stuff about life. See, this, this parable gets us at the very core of why we should be excited about the kingdom 
And I want you to pay attention to this because it's central, it's critically important. Isn't it amazing when you stop and think about what event does the host invite these guests to? He invites them to a party. He doesn't invite them to a political rally. He doesn't invite them to a lecture on morality or what's happening in culture today. Doesn't invite them to a, a, a workshop on how to deal with the guilt and shame that we should feel in our lives. God invites, the host invites these guests to a party with no action item or no agenda. I just want to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. I just want us to be in a relationship. I hear that. I get it, but I have got so many things to do to be responsible. I love that idea, but this isn't the week to be asking about that because I just have so much going on, right? It's not that we're saying yes most of the time to bad stuff. Is that we get so obsessed with the good to-dos in our life and being responsible in them they ignore the great things about life. Listen to me. You were created for relationship. You were created for relationship, not accomplishment, not resumes. You were made to be with God. That is the only place where meaning is ultimately found. And is that relationship that then sends us out in the world to vote and live and act and give our money away. But without the relationship, we're just busy, stressed out people trying to be good. And that's not the gospel. God's primary desire for you is not your money and it is not your vote. God's primary desire for you is you. Is you just the way you are. God just is throwing a party and you are on the VIP list to attend and you're going, I am so sorry, but it has been a stressful week and I just need to veg out on Netflix. I deserve some time on Facebook just to check out because I've had so much going on. I got so many responsibilities this week. It's not the week because otherwise I'd be irresponsible for the things that you've asked me to do. But get back to me soon. I was confronted by that this week. This week, in a like in-your-face way, I was confronted by how accustomed I have become to just going, thank you for the invitation. I'm going to go talk to other people or preach to other people about it, and I've got to go prepare for those things. But I will accept the invitation really soon. I was confronted by that because this was the third week in a row that I have been traveling for work, and I don't travel very much. Um, and, and so it was weird to travel three weeks in a row, but this was the third and final week of travel, and I was really excited for this week because this week was a retreat. It was a retreat that is the first step in a new initiative that I've announced here that we are going to be participating in a covenant, which is a, a learning cohort run through Fuller Theological Seminary. It was the first retreat of a two-year process that we will be involved in, and this retreat had six people from Covenant and six people from two other churches in Texas learning about what does it mean to be a faithful missionary church in the 21st century, post-Christendom and everything else. And this is a first step. It's going to start with six of us. We go through training. It then expands to the session and staff in a number of months, and then over the next two years, it's going to ripple out so that every one of you will have the chance to participate in this learning cohort. And I got to tell you, it was incredible. It was amazing. But it did not start that way for me. We went out on Tuesday, 
And we were at Camp Balcony Springs in Marble Falls, not far from here. And so we drove out, and the six of us from Covenant carpooled out. And I was so excited because we're going to lean into this, like, new thing, right? And we're going to learn techniques and everything else. So we got there, and they, first off, it was just incredible. They showed us where we were staying. We had, like, memory foam mattresses on the beds that were there. My roommate was John Wasson, so had that going on, but it still was all right. And uh, we unpacked, and then we got to our first meeting, and our first meeting was getting to know the six other people who had come from the different churches. And then we got to know the faculty from Fuller that were coming to lead our two days together. And it was just incredible, the people that they had brought in. We spent a couple of hours getting to know each other and hearing stories and introducing ourselves. Then we went and they, we finished and they're like, we know you guys are stressed out. Go take an hour before dinner. Just hang out, talk, sit on the porch. We're like, Okay. So we went and did that. And then we had dinner. It was fajitas. The food was incredible. We just ate and ate and ate. And then afterwards, we got into small groups. And you guys who know me, that's like my love language, right? Like we get into small groups and we talk for a while and we discuss things. And then we like had each person in the group give prayer requests. We had a faculty member leading it. And we laid hands on the people as one by one. We prayed for each other. I mean, it was powerful. It was incredible. And then we ended, and we're like, okay, so what's next? It's like 9 o'clock, and they're like, we know you're tired. Go get a good night's sleep on your, like, memory foam mattresses. It's like, really? Like, yeah, just go, go rest. I go, okay. So we go back to the room. I slept, like, nine hours. Nobody woke me up. There was, like, no, nothing. It was just perfect. It was wonderful. Woke up the next day, had breakfast, had two helpings of this great breakfast, and finally we sit down in this room. And in this room, they said, all right, I had my iPad out, ready to take notes. What? What are the concrete steps? We've done all the introductions, blah, 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 blah. Had good food, rested. What does it mean to be a missional church? Got all this faculty here, ready to take notes, ready to lead in new ways. And they said, all right, for the next three hours, we want you to go be alone with Jesus. I was like, what? Like the next three hours, we want you to be, go be alone with Jesus. No phones, no emailing, no text messages, no internet, no iPads, no talking to anybody else. You got to go be alone and listen to Jesus. Now, I need you to know this stresses me out on multiple levels, okay? Stresses me out on the fact I'm not really wired that way, right? Like that, like I hear that, I'm like, I don't really know what to do with that, right? And so we were leaving the room to go have our three hours with Jesus, and I'm walking with Jill, who is, you know, more spiritually mature than I'll ever be in my life. And so I sat there and I was like, so what do you think about this? I'm a little, little disappointed that this is the first thing we're doing. And Jill's like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. If we're going to do something transformative, really that changes our hearts and behaviors, this is the only way to begin. I love this. Bye. And she like skips off. Seriously, she like, like goes, and I, I, this is an honest story. I tried to, I'm like, wait, wait, come back and tell me what's so great. Like, Come waste 10 minutes telling me what's so great about, about this. And she was gone. So I go back to my room, and I put all my stuff away. And I sat there, and I prayed, guys. I prayed in my room for everything I could think of. Everything. And I prayed hard. And I opened my eyes. It had been nine minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, I have two hours and 51 minutes left. And I feel like I've used all my ammunition that I know what to do. I got nothing left. I spend the next 15 minutes just stressed out going, I don't know what to do. 
And so finally there's this little voice in your head that's like, what, what if you pulled a Bible out? And you're like, well, that's a good idea. You can pull a Bible out. And then I remembered something that I'd done like 15 years earlier in seminary. It was a way of reading the scriptures that is a monastic technique called Lectio Divina. It's a way of engaging the scripture so you don't just read a passage and go, okay, those are the verbs and this is how it works and blah, 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 now I'm ready to teach on it. It's a way of actually getting God, the monks believe, the Benedictine monks, to have the scripture be a way to hear the voice of God. And so I started trying to remember and then doing this technique of reading the Psalms using Lectio Divina. And I need you to know that the next two and a half hours passed like that. And it was the most amazing time I have had in months. I feel, the rest of the retreat was great, but I feel different today than I have on a Sunday morning in months. Because someone knew I didn't have the maturity to accept the invitation from the host and stop and go to dinner. And I needed to be forced to do it. The kingdom of God is not about strategizing and politics and techniques and action steps as much as it's about prayer and intimacy and relationship and listening. You were created to be in a relationship with God. It is the foundation of everything the kingdom of God is about. It's the foundation of everything that heaven is about. And yet day after day after day, we sit there and say, I hear that invitation and I am going to choose something else. We choose the good things in life and fail to embrace the great things that being alive is all about. This week, as we start into this series, I invite you to think about how you spend your time. To hear the invitation to you saying, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. That's why you're here. to glorify God and enjoy him forever, as our confessions say. If you don't know how to do that, and my guess is many of us don't, I don't know how to do that well. On the orders of service, and if you didn't get it on the way in, you can get it when you leave today. You can get it on the way out the door. There is the process of how to read the Psalms through Lectio Divina. I invite you to think about how you can do this every day to set your calendar, to set your schedule daily, not to be too busy. The instructions are all there for you to follow. The daily readings are all there for you to follow. Take this home with you. You're going to need 20 minutes or so without a phone, without a spouse, without kids, without Facebook, without text messaging, without phones, without iPads. You're going to need 20 minutes just to listen and hear. And if we do that, if we take this seriously this week, if you accept God's invitation to be with him, we will walk back in here next week talking about how we live and how we vote and how we spend our money and how we stand for the things that we do, but we won't do it out of duty and obligation. 
We will do it out of an overflowing abundance of God's love for us. That is the foundation of the kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day that you would help us not to be so busy with the good things that you've given us responsibilities to do that we would fail to live in the great thing of why we're alive. Lord, we need you. We want you. We desire you, and yet we choose other pathways so naturally. Invade our lives this week. Invade our calendars. Invade our schedules. Help us to prioritize saying yes to the host of the banquet who invites us to come so that we would be filled to overflowing with your love and then ready to march out and to engage this world and how you called us to live. May your love shower upon us today and every day this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.